You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. When I was a public official not too long ago, I had to watch my words. I mean, I got in trouble even for what I said. When I talked about corporate welfare, it was like a bomb went off. Former United States Secretary of Labor Robert Reich. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Well, hope you've had a happy Labor Day weekend 2021. Labor Day, of course, is the day set aside each year to recognize the contributions of America's labor force. Now, most presidential administrations recognize the need for that labor force to have a strong voice in government. And that's why the position of labor secretary is so critical. And in recent times, one of the most influential labor secretaries was Robert Reich, who served as the first labor secretary under President Bill Clinton from 1993 until just before Inauguration Day 1997. A few months after leaving office, he wrote a book, and that's when he and I had one of our many conversations over the years. His book was called Locked in the Cabinet. So here now, from May 1997... Robert Reich. I didn't intend to write a book, Bill. I kept a journal when something, whenever something particularly bizarre or funny, strange, interesting happened during the course of my four years as a cabinet member. Uh, And uh, when it came time for me to leave, and it was very painful for me to leave, I, I didn't want to leave. The president wanted me to stay as a cabinet member, but I have two teenage sons at home. I wasn't seeing nearly enough of them. I decided that I, although this is a job I love dearly, this was a job I love dearly. I have a family that I love even more, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't accept the proposition that I wouldn't see these boys when they were heading toward adulthood, and they would be there. Not many that many years they'd have left. Uh, and coming to terms with that decision to leave was difficult for me. I used the time around the election to review my journal, to see what was left undone, see what I had done, what I had accomplished. And I began filling in some of it. Uh, I had kept little fragments of conversations. They were memory aids. I began writing as a way of coming to terms with it. And before I knew it, there was actually a book. My wife said to me one day, you know, this is... This is interesting. People might enjoy this. People might enjoy this immensely. This is a terrific book. It is. It. 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 it its tone is far, um, uh, far more candid, I think, than what I perhaps had expected. I'm not sure quite what I would expected, but there's. Do you? You don't. I mean, it's not that you're dishing dirt. Quite the opposite. I mean, you're just telling us what actually went on, and that's that's the magical part of this. This is not a mean-spirited book, Bill. This is not kiss and tell. There's nothing. There's no scandal. There's no expose. But it turns out to be, and I, and again, I didn't intend it this way, it turns out to be, people tell me, very funny and interesting, and, and hopefully uh, people learn a lot. There are not too many, I must say, there are not too many nonfiction books that I get these days that actually do make me laugh out loud. Yours did. <laughs> there, were, there were portions, I mean, from the, from the very beginning, when the investigators come and sit down with you very 
very seriously and say, is there anything at is all? Is there anything in your past? <laughs> and of course, my, you know, everybody has a little a voice inside them, right? I mean, you have a voice inside <laughs> you, and, and that little voice is telling you things and warning you and uh, playing jokes on you, laughing at yourself. If you don't have a little voice that's laughing at yourself, you're in trouble, particularly in Washington. Well, I share with readers, uh, that little voice, uh, that little voice I shared with myself very often in terms of writing in my journal. I think that's what, I think that's one of the parts I like best is throughout the book, the little scenarios that you imagine, if only it could have been that way. Uh, or here's what I expected. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, when, when the interrogators, my investigators asked me about, is there anything in your past that might, that might come back to haunt you? Well, immediately, of course, my, my mind goes back to when I was in kindergarten <laughs> And I paid Holly Knox a quarter to do a jungle, to, to, to simply do a somersault on the jungle gym so I could look at her underpants. Now, I was five years old. Uh, you know, I, I'm not proud of that fact. I, I, uh, there must have been a little bit of deviancy in me at that time. But nonetheless, uh, that's the kind of thing, the ridiculous things you think about when the FBI is doing your investigation. But, you know, something else that, that, that strikes me as, as a, as a, person, as a, as, a, as a voter, as a just an ordinary American who likes to think the best of his government, it makes me a little saddened, a little, it, it seems a little ridiculous, almost Kafkaesque, to have you trained, before you go before the Senate that is going to confirm you as Labor Secretary, to be trained not to answer their questions, but just to show deference to them, not to be smarter than them. But that's the purpose of a confirmation hearing. It's not to answer questions. I mean, you don't know the answers to these questions. You're not expected to know the answers to the questions because you're just coming into office. How can you possibly know the answers to these detailed questions? What they are looking for is respect, deference. They want to know if you're the kind of person who is going to work with them and understand their institutional role and provide proper, a proper deference to them. And that's what it's all about. I didn't know that. My coaches had to say to me, for the first time in your life, Reich, don't show off. Don't tell everything you know. And even when you know enough to get through it and create the impression you know it, say, I don't know, Mr. Senator, but I'm looking forward to working with you on that. I don't know, Madam Senator, but I'm looking forward to working with you on that. Repeat after me, they said over and over again until I got it in my head over and over again. <laughs> but later in the book, when you when you come before senators who are bound to be determined with their charts and graphs to show you up, show that they're smarter than you, and as you point out in the book, the conf the, 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 the uh, Senate hearings, House hearings used to be a way to gather information to enable our lawmakers to draft and pass better laws. Now, as you say, they're attack ads. Well, in the 104th Congress, I was attacked, as many people were attacked. Those congressional hearings became highly contentious places for the cameras. And, of course, I couldn't easily say when somebody insulted or questioned my integrity, I couldn't, even, I couldn't say, I'm eager to work on that with you, Senator. I appreciate, and I don't know the answer to your question, but I uh, am looking forward to working with you on the question of my integrity. Well, I was not going to say that. You, uh, you I, and it's not just you who's ever learned this. I mean, you're just the latest in a long line of people who come to Washington full of wonderful ideas, fantastic things that you could do for this country, only to find that there is this mechanism, this bureaucracy, this Machiavellian uh, nature about this town that everyone... It, it, not, why, why can't anything get done here? Well, first of all, Bill, we did get quite a lot done. I'm very proud of 
the raising the minimum wage, a lot of True. other people had a lot to do with that. Uh, attacking sweatshops, we made a lot of progress mm-hmm. on attacking sweatshops. Providing pension protection, requiring companies to fully fund their pension plans. That's something the companies were not doing. Mm-hmm. We were heading toward another savings and loan scandal right. if we hadn't done Family that. Medical Leave Family Act. Medical Leave Act. Uh, there were a lot of good things that got done. But there is so much, so much left to do. But there, was, there are many instances in your book in which a good idea that a lot of people on both sides of the aisle support, and something like NAFTA, that, that it takes, it, 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 it's, you practically need a degree in dentistry for all the teeth you have to pull to get something like that passed. Remember, our founding fathers designed our government precisely so it would not easily get anything done. Checks and balances, separation of powers. We wanted a government. We did not trust government to 100 years ago. We did not want a government that was highly efficient. We wanted a government that we could trust, at least trust that they weren't going to make a lot of mistakes. And we got a government. Uh, Well, it's hard to get things done, but that's the way we designed it. After this short break, Robert Reich compares and contrasts teaching to government work. Now back to my 1997 interview with Robert Reich. Is it difficult to make the transition from someone who is accustomed to everyone listening, hanging on your every word, taking notes on everything, because it's going to be on the final, as opposed to people hanging on your every word, taking notes, so that they can publish what you say in newspapers around the globe, and then people will respond in a political way to what you've said? It's much easier now. (laughs) I mean, there used to be an atmosphere. When I was a public official not too long ago, I had to watch my words. I mean, I got in trouble even for what I said. I was not known as somebody who pulled a lot of punches, but when I talked about corporate welfare, well, you might as well. It was like a bomb went off, like a hydrogen bomb. People thought, what is he saying? Corporate welfare. Well, now it's a term that many people use. Even Republicans are using it. But at the time I first used the term, um, people were aghast. Uh, There are many things that I could not say. I could not publicly say to the Federal Reserve Board, you are wrong to raise interest rates. Every quarter point you raise interest rates means 130,000 people who will not get jobs. Don't raise interest rates. There's no inflation. You don't have to worry about accelerating inflation. Guys, come on. I couldn't say that. That is, I must say, the greatest single revelation of your book, that Alan Greenspan actually does run the country. Alan Greenspan and the Federal Reserve Board are the most powerful players right now in the economy. No question about it. It strikes me that in the reading of your book, which is I I have had a great deal of fun reading this book. You tell wonderful stories, but it does strike me as no matter how well prepared someone comes to Washington, there are things in in this town that just perplex, confuse, confound, and make you giggle. I hope the book not only makes people laugh, and many people tell me it does, but I hope it also gives them some insights into how Washington works. I don't want people to end the book more cynical than they began. There are victories. It's a wonderful place to work. I would, I'm so happy that I was given the opportunity to be labor secretary. It's the best job I ever have, best job I ever will have, Bill. But people have got to know that Washington is a place like any other. Uh, The people who populate the highest reaches of government often are scared. Sometimes they're very insecure. Sometimes they're they're worried about 
things they should not be worried about. Sometimes they're not taking the stands they should be taking. Sometimes they're laughing at themselves. Sometimes other people are laughing at them. It's They're just people. They're just people trying to do their job. I hope that this book makes Washington more accessible in that way. It's not something that is filled with celebrities. It's something that is just another place where people are trying to work very hard. I, I must say also as a reader, I appreciate your candor when you're describing, and again, not in a, in a, in an evil sort of way. You're not trying to get even with somebody. You're not dishing dirt. You're not, it's a not kiss and tell. But when you speak frankly about the Dick Morrises of the world, the Chainsaw Owls of the world, uh, the Newt Gingriches of the world, uh, you know, the things that you say with your candor and your and your forthrightness, uh, those are things that need to be said. And they're my views. I, I'm very mm-hmm. candid about the fact. This is these are this is the way I saw it. This is my perspective. Not everybody will share my perspective. You have to in these jobs be able to laugh at yourself. You have to be able to see humor in things. You've got to be able to distance yourself enough to see the irony. Um, it was very important for me occasionally to write things down because that's the only way I even began to understand it. I'm one of those people cursed with the, uh, the, the, the problem of needing to write in order to understand. That's what I did late at night. There are not many people who could write a book like this without turning it into a self-serving kind of Well, I, I didn't want to do that. In fact, um, some of my friends tell me that I'm too self-deprecating mm-hmm. in the book. I don't think so. I... First of all, it's honest. I am. Uh, I do criticize myself a lot mm-hmm. in my normal everyday life. Uh, and you're I not think, running for anything. I'm not. <laughs> I'm certainly not <laughs> running for anything. Uh, I have a certain freedom now that I have not had before. Certainly not the past four years. And why not uh, be as candid as possible? Why not tell it like it is? Again, not in a mean-spirited way. Not getting even. Getting settling scores. I hate these memoirs in which people puff themselves up. They try to claim credit for everything. If only the president had listened to me. They try to, well, and they blame others, and they put others down. Well, that's just wrong. Uh, that's, nobody wants to read that kind of a book, and, and, and those people, uh, unfortunately, are too often writing memoirs. That's, what, that's yeah. the traditional form of memoir. I, I wanted to write something that was as honest and candid and forthright and and humorous and, well, self-deprecating, sure, uh, as I as I felt. Have you had a chance to speak with Alexis Herman and perhaps give her more detailed uh, advice than Lynn Martin gave you? <laughs> I called Alexis right after she was confirmed by the Senate, congratulated her. Um, we have talked a great deal about the Labor Department. I wish her, I wish her well. What do you suppose the president had in mind when he said that she is now going to reform the Labor Department? The Labor Department is a wonderful, wonderful place. Very dedicated people. A lot of the laws that the Labor Department enforces are very old laws. They were put into place in the 1930s. There is a continuous process underway of refining, reinventing, reforming. A lot of the regulations need to be looked at again. That doesn't mean any less ardent a regulatory agency. Workers need to be protected. Of course they do. Pensions need to be protected? Absolutely. Minimum wages, family, medical leave, people are owed it. They ought to get it. Can we do all of that more efficiently? Absolutely. Nor does it necessarily mean that there was anything wrong with the department under your leadership. I hope that history will show that the department 
was revived. Um, you know, I felt when I came, I felt like a the general of a liberating army, Bill. I, I said to people, just do your job. Do your job. And people felt so good about that. I, I think that the Labor Department is not the favorite place of Republican administrations. They, they, they tend not to pay a great deal of attention to the Labor Department. Maybe they would if it was called the Big Business Department, but that's... Uh... That's the Commerce Department. <laughs> or the Treasury Department. <laughs> Robert Reich is 75 now. He still teaches. He's still active as a political commentator and author. You can find him on social media. He's even on TikTok. And you can find easy Amazon links to Robert Reich's books at our website, HeardEverything.com. And while you're at HeardEverything.com, be sure and listen to my interview with Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. I thought we'd be bored to death with nothing to do, but it has not worked out that way. Well, we have almost as full and challenging uh, and enjoyable a life now as we've ever had. So we haven't retired by any means, but we've just shifted our emphasis. And in my conversation with former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. There was a question, frankly, could a woman be Secretary of State? And what I found was that I had no problems abroad, mostly because I arrived in a very large plane that said United States of America. <laughs> and, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, to mark the start of the regular NFL season, my 1990 interview with one of the greatest NFL coaches of all time, the great Tom Landry. I don't know whether it was a Cowboys uh, mystique, but... Where it came from was NFL Films. They tagged it one year as America's team. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. <laughs>